it was um, shared with me before the service, and uh, some of you may have already heard this. Um, <clears throat> thank you. Uh, several hours ago, I don't know exactly when, um, in the country of Sri Lanka, um, there was a, a, a coordinated effort that as Christians were meeting in various churches, multiple bombs went off uh, in, in multiple different churches. Uh, according to Henry, he read that over, over 200 Christians, as they're celebrating the resurrected Lord, uh, went to go be with him this morning. And so we're going to pray for them uh, and us in a few minutes uh, before we get to the sermon itself. Uh, just real quickly, so we had Good Friday night service a couple nights ago, and then this morning, that means Rich Sander was busy with bulletins and lots of inserts. So that means look at them, open them up and take a look at them and bless Rich's heart. And then you also see in here, we have a new form. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, if you would take out this form, give us as much or as little information as you're willing, throw it into the offering plate later, or later in the service. Uh, we promise not to come camp out at your house. Uh, we just want to send you something to say thanks for coming and, and Lord bless. Um, 1999, well, we're going to continue on this, this series, Road to the Resurrection, and then conclude it next week. Um, in 1999, M. Uh, uh, M. Night Shyamalan uh, came out with a movie called The Sixth Sense. And in that movie, there was this famous line, and the two main characters in it were Bruce Willis and then a young boy by the name of Haley Joel Osment. And his famous line that was throughout this movie, and I'm convinced that Shyamalan uh, borrowed that line from this event that we celebrate today. I don't know that to be true. If you're a movie buff, tell me afterwards if he did, or maybe he didn't. But the, the, the phrase throughout the movie by this little boy was, I see dead people. I see dead people. In the resurrection narrative, in the event that took place some 2,000 years ago, there were over 500 people that testified, we just saw a dead person, but he is alive. We saw a dead man walking. Um, Jim read for us, Pastor Jim read for us the uh, resurrection narrative. I'm not going to be preaching from that this morning. We're going to be looking at a passage that the Apostle Paul has written for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first 22 verses. Um, but the Apostle Paul lays out for us uh, what it means that we're going to have a resurrected body because of what we're celebrating today. Uh, let me pray and then we will read this passage. Father, we are grateful uh, for your goodness and mercy to us. Father, we come this morning with hearts that are filled full of unbelievable joy, knowing that you are not in the grave, that the Father was pleased with what you did on the cross and that he raised you from the dead. So, Father, we celebrate that and we cry out collectively and individually as your children, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, we also come, though, with hearts that are angry, hearts that are 
distraught over uh, what our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world have experienced this morning. Father, it makes no sense to us why people would do this. But Lord, we know that in some, in some way in your economy, it's good. You are still good. And Lord, we even know that their, their deaths demonstrates the authenticity of your resurrection. Father, you are a threat to those who will not bow their knee to you. Lord, we ask that you would comfort the living, that you would give them uh, an unbelievable measure of your grace and your tenderness, your gentleness. Would you wrap your arms around them and convince them and help them to believe by faith that their loved ones are now in your presence. Father, we pray for us that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to hear this morning. Give us ears to hear as we consider your word. Lord, continue whether we come willingly or we come with hearts that are, are obstinate. Lord, would you bring us to you and would you break our will and would you bend it towards yours? Father, may we leave here this morning crying out as your son Jesus did in the garden, not my will be done, but may your will be done. Lord, you know that's not natural for us, and so we ask that you would help us to do that. Lord, be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, either follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. We're going to be reading uh, 22 verses from 1 Corinthians 15 um, from the ESV version. And God tells us this through the Apostle Paul. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Then if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, uh, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all the people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I was sitting on the couch at the house um, with my laptop in my lap. I don't know what I was working. It was on a Saturday afternoon. The TV was going off on the other side of the room. It was playing. I wasn't watching, but, but yet somehow listening. And then I heard this commercial, and I looked up, and I saw this site. And I, and I heard what they said, although I wasn't watching, but I heard it, and I went, Hmm? <laughs> what did I just hear? And so I hit the remote or grabbed the remote and I hit the, the DVR button to go backwards and I listened to it again and this is what it said with soft music and this distinguished voice. Make the magic of Easter come alive. Bring home the lint golden bunny. That does it no justice. YouTube it. You can find it. I... I made sure I YouTubed it so you could see it. You, you know if you come to the office that some of my favorite candy is Lindt, Lindor truffles. I have a basket in the conference room sitting on the table that um, Pat Sander keeps me stocked with. By the way, we're out close, so if you would get some more. Only the dark chocolate is left, so we need the assortment. I love Lindt, Lindor truffle chocolate. And I heard this, and, and I wanted to start, I did, I started laughing out loud, make the magic of Easter. And you see how they're playing off it. Make the magic of Easter come alive. And it had nothing to do with Jesus. It had nothing to do with the gospel. And I, and I sat there laughing, and then I wanted to tear up because there are millions of people who are your neighbors, and they're my neighbors, who they hear that and their heart is pricked and they go, because they believe that. There's nothing wrong with Easter bunnies. Please hear that. Did, Did you hear that? If you give your children Easter bunnies and chocolates, thumbs up. You're a good mom or a good dad. If you don't, get with it. There's nothing wrong with Easter bunnies and chocolate. It's this whole concept of putting your hope and believing somehow that a magic comes alive in the Easter Bunny. Well, in the passage of Scripture that we just read, um, you and I believe something completely different. If you are in Christ, you believe that it's not the Easter Bunny. It's, It's the event that we're celebrating today, the resurrection of Christ that serves for us as the hinge of all that we believe. It's because God didn't leave him in the grave that we're here this morning. I come across a John John MacArthur quote who said this, Just as the heart pumps life-giving blood to every part of the body, so the truth of the resurrection gives life to every area of the gospel truth. Did, Did you catch that? Your blood pumps through your body and it gives your body life. Every extremity. 
And it's because of the resurrection. Yes, the cross had something to do with it. It's because the cross happened and because the the sacrificial death on the cross was good and is acceptable to the Father. Because of that, God raised his son, the Father, raised his son from the dead. In the resurrection, it's God saying, Amen, 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 to the words, it is finished. Uh, there are three, three points that I want to pull out of the passage that we just read. We're not going to reshow the passage, so if you have a Bible, keep it there. Uh, you'll be able to turn to it and see what I'm talking about. Sorry, I just need a little bit of water. And Ken is very gracious for bringing me the stool because he remembers how I knocked it off uh, another day. Here's the first point I want to look at, and it's captured in just the first four verses. And I'm not completely settled on the words that I used, but we see here that the, the gospel is within the resurrection. And we see that in these, fir- in these first four verses where Paul says to the Corinthians, I want to remind you of the gospel. What's interesting to me is he's writing these words to the Corinthians at the end of the book. It's chapter 15. It's not in the beginning. It's at the end of the book. I want to remind you of the gospel. We're told in another book in Romans and chapter 1 that actually Mackenzie's father preached on just a couple weeks for us where he reminded us in Romans chapter 1 verse 15 where Paul says to them, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And when he wrote those words, as he did to the Corinthians, he's writing it to the church. He's writing it to God's people, to those who have bowed the knee, those who have repented and said, I'm going to place my trust in Christ. And the takeaway for us with the Romans passage and in this passage in 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel, is that he knows that we're forgetful people. And he knows that, we're, that, that it leaks out of us as we sleep, as we go about our day. The gospel is in us and it warms our heart. And then for whatever reason, it dissipates. And because he knows our hearts, Paul is saying, I want to remind you of the gospel. And it is so crucial for us. The gospel is not just contained in the resurrection. It's bigger than that. The resurrection is the climax. It's the amen to what what had just taken place over the prior 33 years. And so Paul's saying in this context of, I want to talk about the resurrection, but I want to remind you that the resurrection is a part of the story of this larger narrative of the gospel. And he defines what it is here in a few few minutes that we're going to get to. But before he does that, he says, I want to preach this gospel to you. And then he gives us these three very, very crucial, and then a fourth, but very crucial verbs. When he says, I I preach the gospel to you, and those crucial verbs are the gospel that you received, meaning that you acknowledged it, you accepted it, you adopted it, you placed your faith in it, you received the gospel. And he said, the gospel in which you now stand when you watch a when you watch a war documentary 
There is nothing more exhilarating to see historical examples of men and women fighting on behalf of their country in the midst of uh, bullets being uh, fired at them and bombs. In the midst of that, there's something incredible to watch them say, I'm not running away. I'm standing here. And Paul's reminding them, I preach the gospel. You received it. You are standing under it. You're persevering. It's your aim to make it to the end. You aren't letting go. And then that third verb, you're, not only have you received it, not only you're standing in it, but you're, you're being saved by it. You've heard this before. I'm not t- telling you anything new, but we, when we look at salvation, we, we say it's, it's past, it's present, and it's future. We experienced, we were saved. We're being saved right now because we're being made more into the image of Christ, and we're going we're to continue to be saved until we die or Christ returns. And that process of being saved is you, you have been delivered from death. You've been shown mercy. And so he's reminding them, those are the three verbs that you are demonstrating. And then he throws in this fourth one. There's a conditional clause. And it's only, it's that word if. And that word if is so powerful. If those three things are true, if you hold fast. If you hold fast to the word that I preach to you. Meaning, don't, don't fall into easy believism where you come to church, you listen to the sermon, and you walk out, and it has no impact, no transformation on your life. He's saying, hold fast to it. Grasp it. Seize it. These are words that, that were all synonyms in the Greek. Grasp it. Seize it. Join yourself to it. Follow it. Show devotion to it. That's what it means in that initial context to hold fast to the salvation that's been given to us. That's not works righteousness. That's the reality of a heart that's been transformed by Christ and you can't help it. It just just happens. And then we take our eye off the ball. And we need to what? We need to be reminded of the gospel that Paul writes in this. In this, so then he goes on in this later in these first few verses, and he goes on to explain what what is the gospel, and he uses just three words: death, burial, and resurrection. And in that process, he's providing some sense of of a historical evidence that the resurrection really did happen because he died. There really was a death. And when he writes death, burial, and resurrection, that's just assuming that we understand and we accept by faith in the incarnation, that he was born, that he did come as a man. So we accept that by faith, that Jesus came as a man. We accept by faith that he lived the life that we couldn't. And because of those two things, Jesus said, or the Father said, My will for you is to go to the cross. In Isaiah chapter 53, we're told that it was the Lord's will, it was the Father's will to crush his son. It was the Father's will to send him to the grave. 
and you need to hear this, please hear this. That's good news. He crushed his son. He sent his, he crushed his son so that you wouldn't have to fear death anymore. He sent his son to the grave and spent three days eternally, or not eternally, separated from the Father for three days so that those of us who place our trust in Christ wouldn't have to experience that separation. And so in here you have the, the incarnation. He, he was born a man. You have the life of Christ. And then you have the death, the burial, and the resurrection. I read this week and it just struck me in a new way where, where an author said, I love that our gospel story talks about death. It's meaty. It's raw. It's real. Because we live in a raw, in a real world where we experience death. And then there's that last component death, burial, resurrection. His resurrection means that death was defeated. You and I no longer have to worry about the sting of death. And when we experience the death of a loved one, it hurts. It's painful. Just a week ago yesterday was the one-year anniversary of, of my earthly father's passing. April 13th. It's, it's ugly. I didn't get a chance to talk to my mom because she was busy, uh, but I talked with my older brother and, and he called my mom in the morning completely forgetting that, that our father had passed away a year ago that day. And so my mom answers the phone and as soon as my older brother said, hey mom, she lost it and started weeping. And Jeff went, what did I just walk into? Because he's like, Mom, you okay? And then it clicked in his head. <laughs> but because of the resurrection of Christ, for those of us who are in him, who've repented and placed our trust, that death has no sting. It's better for them on the other side. So just in those first four verses, we see Paul, he's pleading with them, I'm reminding you of the gospel. And I'm, and I'm going to say this just in conclusion as we go to the next point. And I've used up most of the sermon on just the first point. So we're going to do some adjusting. So much of American Christianity today sees the gospel from a different perspective of what we just talked about. So much of American Christianity sees the gospel from a perspective of what am I supposed to do? Tell me how I'm supposed to live. Help me to become a better person. Help me to be a better husband, wife, teacher, husband, employee, whatever. And and I'm begging you to understand that those things are true and those are natural results of the gospel. But the gospel is not what you do for Jesus. The gospel is what he did for us. It's his death. It's his burial. It's his resurrection. And then because of that, there's such sweet news for us where he changes us. We're going to see that later. Uh, Point number two, 
In the next six or seven verses, verses 5 through 11, we see that Paul, he explains what the gospel is in the first four verses, and then he talks about, oh, by the way, there were witnesses of this resurrection. This isn't just some fairy tale that one person made up. And he goes on to explain the first one that Jesus appeared to, according to Paul, was he appeared to Cephas, which was whom? Peter. I want you to understand that Paul tells us that because he wants us to understand and he wants us to bathe in the immense grace that Jesus has for Peter, his beloved son. Because it was just a few days earlier where Peter stood in front of crowds and said, I don't know that man. Don't don't let me with him. He did it once. And then he did a second time. And then he did a third time. And Paul's wanting us to just catch this glimpse of, look at how gracious our Savior is. The first one that he wants to go to and have a conversation with and put his arms on his shoulders and to look into his eyes to restore that fellowship and to reconcile Peter. You blew it. You abandoned me, Peter. But I still love you. And then we're told he appears to the 12 disciples. And then he appears to over 500 disciples. And then he appears to James. And we don't know which James that is. I assume it's the, that it's Jesus' brother. He appears to James and to all of the apostles. And then last of all, Paul tells us, he appeared to me. Do, do, you, do, you, do you catch what Paul is saying? In his own words, Paul is weeping because he then goes on to talk about as a reminder that he was the guy who persecuted the church and he is who he is only by, if you throw that up, Jordan, verse 10, it's only by the grace of God that I am what I am. And so Paul is, because of this resurrected Jesus, Paul is saying in in, in Scott Bowles' language, Jesus appeared to me. Jesus came to me. To shorten uh, this point up just a little bit, what's interesting is we see um, that in this, in this part, as they're appearing, that it mentions the phrase, um, <clears throat> or maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, yeah, well, maybe not, I don't know. It mentions, I don't have the whole text in front of me anymore. It mentions the phrase, according to the scriptures. And it says it twice. According to the scriptures. What, why, is, why is Paul telling us that Jesus appeared to all these people? Because when you have multiple accounts of people who saw an accident and they're all saying, I saw it, and they all tell the same story, it builds the credibility of what took place. You you know the, the other credible evidence that the resurrection really did happen? Those guards standing at the tomb, they had one job, keep that dead person in there. Don't let them come steal his body. Don't let them come steal his body and make a hero out of that dead man. And and to lose that dead body meant their life. 
There was no way they were going to let that, that dead man leave. And he, he was raised from the dead, and he appeared to over 500 people. Those post-resurrection appearances offer proof. They offer comfort for us that Jesus really was raised from the dead. Here's point three, the last part of this text. We see the foolishness and the beauty of the resurrection. The foolishness and the beauty of the resurrection. Paul is writing in this chapter trying to convince them because Jesus was raised from the dead, you too are going to be raised from the dead. Death isn't it. So, I decided to Google the words this week, Happy Easter. I'm just curious what I would find. And if you don't put anything connected to the church, Bible, Christian, Jesus, Christ, if you don't put any of that in there, you just type in Happy Easter. 9.75 out of 10 have an Easter bunny or an Easter egg connected to it. And I came across this one that I just couldn't help but put up on the screen this morning for you. I don't know if you can read that, but let me, let me read it for you. With this picture of Jesus floating, and, and, and Ben and I talked, and he thinks it's a joke. I don't think it is because I went to the website, and they have all kinds of stuff like this for all major holidays. And I'm not going to tell you what website it came from. But this is what it says on here. Um, there is nothing more magical than decorated eggs, lights, presents, family, and friends to brighten up your life. Happy, blessed Easter to you and to your family. I love how they threw the word blessed in there. Happy, blessed Easter. <laughs> Why do I show you that? Because our, because our neighbors believe that. And God's calling us because of the resurrection. He has changed us in its foolishness to our neighbors. Nothing wrong with decorated eggs. Please, please hear that. Don't go home and say, the pastor poo-pooed on decorated eggs. That's not what I'm doing. My grandson loves that I just said (laughs) poo-pooed. Our neighbors believe this because the real story is foolishness to them. It doesn't make sense. They don't believe it. And I'm begging you as your friend, as your pastor, or as a man standing in front of you, they think it's foolishness because the Holy Spirit hasn't removed the veil from their eyes yet. And so don't be disgusted with them in their unbelief. Come alongside and show great empathy and compassion and love. And say to them, I love how you are decorating. I love what you're doing for Easter. I love how you celebrate Easter. This is so cool. But there's, as, as Paul Harvey used to say, there's, there's more to the story. Celebrate with them what they're doing. And then ask, may I share something even more powerful than decorated eggs? Paul tells us that this is foolishness because he says if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then neither will you be. 
If he wasn't raised, you're not going to be raised either. He tells us if Christ wasn't dead or raised from the dead, then what I've been doing my, the last few years, our preaching is in vain. And he takes it a step further. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, your faith is in vain, meaning it's futile, it's meaningless, it's going to get you nothing, it's fruitless, it bears nothing if Christ wasn't raised from the dead. And he takes it a step further, which is the natural conclusion. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then you're still stuck in your sins. And if our friends say that to us, I'm not sure I believe in the resurrection, then you have the ability, if you're in Christ, you have the ability to say to them, I'm still dreadfully sinful, but I'm not stuck in them. I'm not held captive by my sins anymore. I'm I'm not perfect. I won't be in this life. But according to Scripture, because he was raised from the dead, sin has no mastery over me any longer. And then look in your neighbor's eyes and you could say, I've experienced that. I got the text message this morning that reminded me that the grave is empty. And because of that, I was able, because of his grace and his power, I was able to walk away from the temptation that faced me. May I tell you about this Jesus who's not in the grave. So there's drastic consequences if it isn't true. But then he also finishes it up by telling us there is something beautiful that is true because he then says, However, but, and it's this, it's this important but in Scripture, but Christ was raised from the dead. I saw it. He appeared to me. I, I meant to ask this question earlier, and I got on a tangent. I don't remember what it was. Has Christ appeared to you? Do, do you... Can, can you offer that same testimony? You can say what he wants, but I know he's alive. I, I, I saw the change. I saw the reality of his resurrection in me. And so I'm, I'm, I'm begging you to chew on that question before you leave. Ha, can you say with great confidence and clarity, I know he's alive because he appeared to me, to me too. Back to the end of this text. He offers this word, but. But there is hope. Why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. And he goes on to explain that, that Jesus being raised from the dead, he was the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And if you know that I grew up on an, on an apple farm and a cherry farm in the state of Michigan, and there was nothing better than to go out and to pick those first fruits every spring and summer and fall to get the best first. And in no case ever, ever did we say, that was so good, we can't top it, just leave the rest on the tree. Instead, we celebrated the first fruits of that harvest and then we said, look at the rest, there's more to come. It's here for us. It's for the taking. 
the first fruits is just the beginning. I read this week the significance of the first fruit. However, not only was that they preceded the harvest, but that they were the first installment of the harvest. The fact that Christ was the first fruit indicated that something else, namely the harvest of the rest of the crop, was to follow. If there's a first fruit, that means there's a second and a third and a fourth and on and on and on. And because he was the first fruit, because he was the first one from a spiritual standpoint to conquer death, there will be more to come. Rest of that quote is, in other words, Christ's resurrection could not have been in isolation from ours. His resurrection requires our resurrection because his resurrection was a part of the larger resurrection of God's redeemed. A first demands a second in God's economy. And then he reintroduces us and he reminds us of this person, Adam. And this is the beauty, the beauty of the resurrection. Just as Adam was the representative as the first man who brought sin into the world and he was our representative, and because of that, you and I inherited his sin. It's in us. It's a part of our DNA makeup. We all come from him. But just as there was one man who brought death, Jesus, this one man brought life. Because he was raised from the dead, the Father was screaming, Amen, Amen. I accept your sacrifice. The Father didn't say, Where's the do over button? Where's that red button? He didn't say, we need to return the, 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 the sacrifice was sufficient. So the natural result of that is, because he was raised from the dead, Jesus brings life to all who believe. Do you, are you experiencing that? Has he appeared to you, and then have you experienced this newness of life? That's inside you. I want to end with uh, this quote and then a couple quick points of application. Uh, Theologian Eric Sauer um, said this, the present age that you and I are living in today is Easter time. It begins with the resurrection of the Redeemer and it ends with the resurrection of the redeemed Between that first Easter and the second Easter to come, between lies the spiritual resurrection of those called into life with Christ. So we live between two Easters, and in the power of the first Easter, we go to meet the last Easter. Because of his resurrection, we live with a sense of power to live in Christ. So what do you do with that? Three things. Fall down and worship. If, you've, if Jesus has appeared to you and you experiencing this newness of life, either literally or metaphorically, just fall down and worship and say, by the grace of God, I am what I am because I deserve something different.
Secondly, here's my word. Rest in that salvation. Rest in it. There's nothing you can do that make God love you any more than he already does if you are in him. There's nothing that you can do to earn more of his favor or more of his blessing. Rest. Rest in that salvation. We're told in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Please, please notice there's nothing in there that says, here's your list of to-do. Here's, here's your tasks that you need to accomplish, and then you will be saved. It's just simply, if you believe, if you, if you believe and confess, you will be saved. So you rest in that. Go, go take a nap. <laughs> Only serve because it's bubbling out and you can't help it. Don't serve because you're trying to earn something. Here's the third and last. Hold fast. Hold fast to this new life that you have in Christ. Hold fast to the, to the fact by faith that Jesus is in the grave. He's, he's alive today. Ask him to send you that morning text message. Ask him to send you the reminder the grave's empty. And because of that, hold fast by faith. Let me pray. Father, we're grateful for your care and your kindness to us. God, you know that we we struggle to believe and to hold fast by faith, and so we ask for your help. Holy Spirit, would you come and have your way with us and draw us to you in a deeper and more meaningful way? Father, make us acutely aware of the sin that is within us, but then make us even more aware that your blood has covered it, it's gone, it's removed from us because of you. Lord, open our eyes today and help us to see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.